Hello, everybody, and welcome into the newest edition of the Just In Time Sports Podcast. I am your host, Justin Jackson, and you can find the show on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, along with the show's Twitter page and also Breaking Sports News page at JTime Sports on Twitter. I repeat, at JTime Sports on Twitter. Please give that a follow. Turn your post notifications on. That way, you're always in tune with the news. When I find it out, I definitely relay that to you guys. But in today's episode, we'll be talking about the NFL, what's going down in the league. We'll touch on Jack's Pack, our successful betting segment. We will have some NBA news. We'll talk a little bit of college football, and we'll have our best for last, which will be a recap between Thursday Night Football's matchup of the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. So I hope you guys sit back and get ready to learn something. Alrighty, guys, and welcome into the show. Now, like I said in the intro, we're going to start off with a little bit of NFL coverage from week eight, transitioning, of course, into week nine. So we're going to talk about a few of the games that happened, some news is going down and stuff like that. I want to start off with the Bills and the Patriots. I am a Patriots fan, so I'm just going to say it now. New England, your season's over. It's done. We're just going to pack it up from here. The Buffalo Bills officially, in my opinion, ended the season when Cam Newton fumbled, trying to carry what's left of the Patriots into what seems to be or could have been prime potential playoff position. Instead, the ball fell out of his hands. The collective spirit of the organization fell out of the clouds. And the New England Patriots will be picking off of that play alone, in my opinion, in the top 10 of the NFL draft. That means a good thing if you're a Patriots fan. 20 years of utter dominance, nine conference championship games, I'm sorry, nine Super Bowl appearances, you have 13 conference championship games, give or take, six Super Bowl championships, several MVPs, all kind of records in 2007. You're a couple of Eli Manning miracles away from eight Super Bowl rings. And then Brady exits stage left, goes to Tampa Bay, joins up with that crew. We'll talk about them a little later. And Cam Newton arrives and all the chips that were pushed into the middle of the table to win two bowls, netted three of them. The problem when you do that in the NFL and you keep robbing Peter to pay Paul, eventually the bill comes due and the bill became due at the same season that they had the most opt-outs in the NFL. Along with the fact that they had no cap space due to retirees and le- and people leaving like Brady and Gronk. Add in the fact that this was already a very under-talented football team, especially offensively. And that nets you anywhere from 4-12 to 12 to 6-10. and 10. I think the most games the Patriots can win this season is 6. I believe I strongly, if I had to bet on it, it would be 5. My hope as a Patriots fan is that they go 4-12. and 12. I just can't see them losing to the Jets either time. And they play the Jets, obviously, Monday night. I just honestly, it would be better for the New England Patriots organization to go 4-12, and 5-11. And, and I think the rest of the league is catching on. There's been several anonymous sources that are saying that, especially anonymous executives, that are saying that Bill's too smart to go 9-7 and seven 
eight and eight, seven and nine for the next five to ten years as he's finishing off his career and trying to find a way to restore the Patriot dynasty back. It's easier, especially in a year like this with COVID and all the other stuff, just to hit reset. Boop. Reset the franchise. You take a year off, and effectively. You go five and eleven, six and ten, you get a high draft pick. The Patriots have the most cap available of any team by far in the offseason. And so they have plenty of money to play with when it comes down to offseason acquisitions. Now, on the Bills side, I would be scared because the Bills have to win a division this year because you can't tell me, let's say Cam Newton comes back to the Patriots next year. You can't tell me Cam Newton add in a Jamar Chase, add in a decent tight end in the second round, add in some speed at the receiver position. You can't tell me the Patriots are not better than the Bills, especially when the opt outs come back. Josh Allen seems to be back to being, well, Josh Allen. The defense has come down to earth drastically, and it looks like the Bills are going to be battling with the next team I'm going to mention, the Miami Dolphins, for the AFC East this one year while the Patriots reset. Speaking of those Miami Dolphins, they have the top scoring defense or one of the top scoring defenses in the league all season, and I believe the top defense over the last three or four weeks after what they just did to the Los Angeles Rams under the not-so-steady stewardship of rookie quarterback Tua Tagovailoa. Now, that dominant scoring defense, allowing the least amount of points in the league, did carry the Dolphins to a victory over the Rams, who had to fly cross-country, who were dealing with a rookie they haven't seen on tape. It was an early start window. They had just had an emotional win. It was a short week. I mean, the Rams were about as bad as the Rams have played. And that Dolphins defense took full advantage of that, even scoring a touchdown on their own. But the Dolphins are going to need more out of Tua. 93 yards passing. I know I heard that, oh, they didn't open up the playbook or it was his first start. I seen Justin Herbert's first start with five minutes notice against the Kansas City Chiefs. It was good, if not great. I seen Joe Burrow's first start with the Cincinnati Bengals. It was great. Two attack of Iloa was eh. And eh is being generous. Very generous. I mean, 93 passing yards in the modern NFL is a quarter for some people. And he did that in a game? I don't care how limited the playbook was. You had 12 completions for 93 yards on 23 attempts if my memory serves me correctly they're gonna need a lot more out of that quarterback position and it's not the old days of where you're gonna get two three four years trying to figure this out they're playing him now and they possess houston's first round pick if Tua does not get it together if he's not looking like he's the answer to the quarterback they may use houston's fourth overall pick that's what i'm thinking might be four or five and move to a Taco Bailoa and draft the quarterback of the future as they believe in Miami and Tua will be finding a new home similar to what happened to Josh Rosen with Kyler Murray speaking of Joe Burrow he picked up his second win of the season fairly convincingly over what appears to be a reeling Tennessee Titans football team now Tennessee looked invincible early they only had one weakness pass rush it showed up two weeks ago against the Steelers it showed up last week against the Bengals. They cannot take advantage of a Bengals offensive line that is absolutely horrid, as putrid as one can get in the NFL at that level. 
and they still got no pressure on Burrow. There was a couple times we had to dance around, looking like he was playing Georgia in the SEC title game all over again. But he had to dance around a few times. But other than that, he had a fairly clean jersey. They were all white. There was not a grass stain on them. And so the Titans are going to have to get that fixed if they have any chance of winning the conference or really making any noise in the playoffs. Because you play Patrick Mahomes with no pass yards, he'll score 50. You play any of these other great teams in the AFC. You've seen what happened when they played Pittsburgh with no pass rush. They'll score 50. If you got no pass rush, you've got no run stopping either. Not directly. So that means Lamar Jackson's going to be running all over the field, scrambling like crazy. You're going to need to figure out a pass rush if you're Tennessee to have a legitimate shot at winning the conference or you're making any real noise in the playoffs. Speaking of those Baltimore Ravens, they have a problem. It's a big problem. Lamar Jackson is officially the third best quarterback in the AFC North. Now, it's more of Big Ben hasn't hit the wall yet. But Lamar Jackson is currently playing the third best football at quarterback in the AFC North. You have a problem, Baltimore. You have a major problem. Because remember the red flags we saw in with the Rams when they had Jared Goff and you were like oh Jared Goff can play and then they paid him and then Ty Gurley knees degenerated further and you looked and you went huh Jared Goff really isn't that great remember fans now are clamoring in Philadelphia for Carson Wentz they overpaid Wentz and then you look and sometimes Wentz frustrates you I believe Wentz has all the talent on God's green earth but sometimes he frustrates you. Well, Baltimore, your quarterback is less talented throwing the ball than both of them. Because Jared Goff, I've seen him hit a quick out. I've seen him hit a 10-yard out route on the money. So the throws Carson Wentz pulls off like the one he dropped in the bucket to Boston Scott to win the game. You don't see that out of Lamar. He's very seam dependent. He's very between the numbers dependent, between the hash if he can help it. I mean, Pittsburgh basically clogged up the middle of the field, and you saw what happened on the last drive, attempting to go win the game before he invariably fumbled. Well, second to last drive, I should say, before he inevitably fumbled trying to scramble. They ran the ball. They had nine plays. They ran the ball. It appeared to be called at least eight times, maybe nine. On the ninth one, he may have taken one read and he took off. That's a problem. That is an offensive coordinator and a head coach letting the world know we don't trust him to throw us out of a spot because anybody, I don't care who it is, gets one pass attempt in that scenario. Mitchell Trubisky would get a pass attempt in that scenario. By no means am I saying that Mitchell Trubisky is better than Lamar Jackson. I'm saying Joe Burrow is. But by no means am I saying Trubisky is better than Lamar Jackson or Gardner Minshew is better than Lamar Jackson. Of course not. But that's a problem when they don't trust last year's MVP to throw them out of a spot. It makes sense when they go down by 7 or 10 points. They usually lose because they don't have the quarterback arm talent to get them out of a spot. Pittsburgh, smart defense, looked as dominant as ever. I don't think they're the best team in football. I would lean Tampa there. But that's because I don't trust Big Ben late in a stretch because he's made a couple games far too interesting this year with his decision-making and his play. And so I would definitely take a second look at Pittsburgh, but they're definitely in the running for best team in the NFL. Along with, like I said, Tampa Bay, of course, Kansas City. 
moving on to the last game we'll really talk about in depth in week eight. Just like Baltimore has a problem that I don't think they can fix necessarily. They could get worse once you pay Lamar. Green Bay, you have a problem. No, it is not your receiving core. You score 30 points a game. That's not a problem. Your problem is San Francisco punched you in the mouth and you went down. San Francisco said, oh, rematch? And punched you in the mouth and you went down. Tampa Bay punched you in the mouth and you went down. Minnesota punched you in the mouth and you went down. Dalvin Cook looked like he was playing Madden on pro. He had 200 some odd yards of offense, scored literally every touchdown for the Vikings with four of them. And the Packers did not know what to do, didn't know how to do it. Looked like the fight they had was gone by touchdown three defensively. I mean, they Vikings lined up and said, we're fully aware we have Kirk Cousins on a big contract. We fully aware Justin Jefferson is the best rookie wide receiver out right now. I mean, I don't think it's close. We're fully aware that Adam Thielen's Adam Thielen, Kyle Rudolph is good, etc. We're going to punch you in the mouth and you're going to fall. And that's exactly what they did. They ran Dalvin Cook 30 sometime, tossed to him another couple of times. He scores four touchdowns and the Minnesota Vikings upset the Green Bay Packers in Lambeau. Green Bay, you have a problem. If you can't stop anybody from punching you in the mouth and you punch back, you've got no shot to make it out of the playoffs. Hell, out of the first round. You're not getting the one seed. That's pretty much Seattle. Barring Seattle collapses and Tampa probably gets it. So if that's a problem for you, anybody in the NFC is going to go, we're going to run the ball. We're going to line up in a heavy package and we're just going to run it. 35, 40 times, and we'll see if they can stop it. If they can, shake hands, go to the middle of the field, and go home. If they can't, we beat Green Bay Packers and take Aaron Rodgers out of the playoffs. Green Bay, that is a problem. One that was not adjusted to the trade deadline. One that was made worse in the offseason by the let going of Martinez and others in the linebacking core. You've got to fix that. And I'm not sure you can fix that with the person that you have currently in your, in your locker room. That is a problem. A huge problem. But shifting to this week, obviously Thursday night football, those Packers that I just talked about have a huge problem with the run is facing the San Francisco 49ers who exposed them the first and second time. With that problem, yeah, they're facing them again. Now, obviously, San Francisco is going through a COVID outbreak at the moment. Not outbreak. I shouldn't say outbreak. They've got a couple of false positive COVID test situations going on. Half the team is on IR. I say that mostly joking. I mean, they're down, what, two corners, two linebackers, two defensive linemen, a quarterback, a tight end, and two running backs, and a receiver or two. So, basically, half the team is on the IR at the moment. I mean, George Kittle's out eight weeks, probably out for the season. Although he's jokingly, I don't think he was joking. He said two weeks. Kyle Shanahan said, knowing George, he'll try after two. So we'll have to watch that situation. Jimmy Garoppolo, you have a problem too. I'm not sure you have a real estate agent at the time or currently. You need to find one. Your time in San Francisco is over. They haven't told you. 
They haven't told anyone. They probably haven't told themselves out loud. And by them, I mean Kyle Shanahan and John Lynch. But your time in San Francisco is over. It's done. Unfortunately for you, there's a few quarterbacks that's going to be on the market. Namely, a Sam Darnold, possibly a Cam Newton, maybe a Dwayne Haskins. That San Francisco would look at and go, huh, maybe we could swing one of them. Maybe they can trade up, go get a Trey Lance or a Justin Fields. Maybe we can swing one of them and let Jimmy Garoppolo walk for a bag of chips and a pocket of lint. I hope you have a real estate agent, Jimmy Garoppolo. I think your time is done. Nick Mullins routinely looks better than you at times. Kyle Shanahan clearly can work his QB magic with almost anyone. Why be expensive with Jimmy Garoppolo for a guy who's always hurt? Sorry, Jimmy G. It's just the facts. Moving on to another big game in week nine. We have Ravens and Colts. That's a huge game. That's a huge game because the Colts have a good pass rush and they have Darius Leonard at linebacker so they can really clog the middle of the field. If Lamar looks like he did Sunday, the problem persists. And that is not good. When you did something against Patrick Mahomes, run zone. Lasted about two games, and he torched it. For Russell Wilson, keep him in the pocket. That lasted about a quarter and a half, and then he torched it. You have to figure this out, Lamar. If they're going to take the middle of the field away from you, like they do most quarterbacks, because the middle of the field is pretty easy to hit because it's right across your face, if they can completely destroy you by taking the middle of the field, you have a problem that needs to be fixed in week nine. Seahawks and Bills, big game, huge game. Like I said, the Bills are struggling right now. They didn't deserve to beat the Pats. Glad they did as a Pat fan, but they didn't deserve to beat the Pats. And they're going to go against the MVP front runner in many people's eyes and Russell Wilson. That defense is already scrambling. DK Metcalf has officially entered the all-world receiver category, even being tossed around as a best receiver in the world by several people. You've got Tyler Lockett, who seems to catch those moonshots from Russell Wilson better than anybody. Obviously, they got to fix their defense, but they picked up Carlos Dunlap, who's bendy. Jamal Adams has to be close. And so, Buffalo, look out, man. You might get rolled here. So, Seattle is playing Buffalo. Big game. I think one of the more interesting matchups that might not be getting a lot of pub right now is Tua Tagovailoa's Dolphins against Kyler Murray's Cardinals. This may be the worst matchup Tua Tagovailoa could have had in his rookie season. Because Tua is about 5'11 and 3 quarters, maybe 6 feet. Kyler Murray is about 5'9 and some change. They're both little men, especially for the quarterback position. Most of them, all but two. And they, I believe, in the Hall of Fame are 6'2 or taller. So this is a, these are two little men for that position. I think Arizona's going to drop the hammer on Miami, and it's not going to be good for Tua. Because now you're looking at a guy who, he's not six foot two, he's 5'9". He's got absolute electric feet, a better arm, and a lot more swag. That's not going to be good when the owner sits up and goes, how do I get one of those? Because Kyler Murray is stronger arm, better put together physically, he's faster, he's more accurate, he's got more swag. I mean, he's just all-around better quarterback than Tua. And so when the owner sits in his box and goes, there's nobody like that coming up in the draft next year, and his GM, if he does his job properly, is going to go, 
Yeah, this guy named Justin Fields at Ohio State. Looks a lot like Kyler. A little bit bigger, too. I want him. And the era in Tua could be over that fast Miami because these billionaires are known to change their mind on a whim. And because you work for the billionaire, you need to execute his vision when he gives you a directive. Now, though I ever see the big game of the weekend, Saints Bucks. Two goats are running around the field, old billy goats. Brady being 43, Breeze being 41. I mean, these guys have got every passing record under the sun besides interceptions. Thank you, Brett Favre. I mean, these two are battling back and forth. They're going to pass the touchdown record possibly back and forth while the game is going on. I mean, it's going to be nuts. The record's going to be falling left and right. Obviously, the Bucks add Antonio Brown. So now at Brady's disposal, I'm sure he's going to want to get Antonio Brown touches. He likes Antonio Brown. And he knows if AB gets touches, especially early, it'll keep him engaged. Mike Evans is his red zone target. It's like every time they get down right around the 15, 10, look for Gronk, look for Mike Evans. When I was going to be, look for probably Mike Evans, look for AB, then look for Gronk. Because Gronk's known to be able to perform a scramble drill well with Brady. He knows where to go, obviously, from their time in New England and working out together in the offseason. So that'll be very interesting to watch Tampa's offense. Because it was not the same offense that showed up in the Superdome week one with no preseason thanks to COVID. It is not the same offense, obviously, due to personnel because they added Leonard Fournette. They have added Antonio Brown. Kronk looks like he's in shape. Brady looks like he trusts everybody. And so it's going to be very interesting to watch that situation. Now, according, now with the Saints, you've got a Michael Thomas problem. He sprained his ankle in week one. Everybody else that has sprained their ankle is back, minus Christian McCaffrey. And that's probably because they were on a short week. I expect him to play Sunday. That's a problem. Now he's got a hamstring injury. He's got into a fight. Does he want to be in New Orleans anymore? I mean, it feels like he doesn't want to be in New Orleans anymore. It feels like there's been some dark cloud hanging over the team since Drew Brees made his comments about the flag and stuff like that. It does not feel like he wants to be in New Orleans anymore. And if that's the case, let him go. I mean, you can't really because of cap accelerations. You'd have to get whatever team it takes them to do all kind of other maneuvering. But that's not a good situation for anybody involved. And so that's definitely something to watch out for there. But up next, we're going to shift to Jack's pack. This session was our longest in terms of a block we've ever had. I hope you guys enjoyed it. A lot of NFL. But up next, we're going to shift to Jack's pack to wrap up our NFL talk for the week. Alrighty, guys, and we are back. And now we're going to shift to Jack's pack. It was a rough week last week. Uh, worst week so far. Didn't go winless. Thank you. Thank you, Carson Wentz. Or should I say Philly's defense? Didn't go winless there. Went one and four. We were incredibly close. And I do mean incredibly close to three and two, maybe even four and one. I mean, if Will Lutz makes the field goal early for the Saints, then Nick Foles doesn't get in the end zone. It was plus four and a half. He would have covered it with six. Tom Brady, Bruce Arians allows Brady to go for it and run the clock out. The Giants doesn't come back. I mean, Brady probably goes to score a touchdown, goes up 11. The Giants doesn't come back and score. They cover. Hey, we were very close to a positive week. But alas, we were not. We were one in four. 
That brings our total to 2018-2, which is 52.3%, which is a little bit less than, you know, I said that professional gambler line, but still a positive record overall. But shifting to our games this week, we've got the Chiefs minus 10.5 versus Carolina. Look, the Chiefs have been dominating lately. They're the most non-talked-about dominating team ever. They've beaten people by multiple touchdowns these past few weeks, and I don't see why that should stop now. I've got the Chiefs covering the 10.5. Seahawks versus Bills. Bills getting three points here. Doesn't matter. Take the Seahawks. Look, the Bills are struggling. The Bills are struggling defensively. And the last thing you want to see when you're struggling defensively is a freak show at receiver, a magician at quarterback, and a team who should be getting a little bit better defensively themselves in Seattle. They've got Seattle winning that game and covering the three points. So the Bills, even with plus three, take the Seahawks. Steelers versus the historic line of Dallas plus 14. Take the Steelers. Look, against Washington, Dallas kicked a field goal. Against Philly, they kicked three field goals. I can almost assure you Dallas won't score. Even if they score, they score seven at most, maybe 10. Pittsburgh is scoring at least 30. So in order for Dallas to make a noise, they'd have to score 16. That ain't happening on this defense. I'm going to go Pittsburgh to easily cover the 14 against Dallas. Arizona minus four and a half versus Miami. Arizona, even with the four and a half, they went by a touchdown plus. They've had a bye week. If you take a good team off a of bye, that's almost assuredly an easy bet. Kyler is going to, I think, run all over this Miami defense. It's easy to guard a team where the quarterback's not going to go anywhere. Kyler's going to go everywhere. They've got nobody for D-Hop. Maybe to do in Byron Jones. Okay. Who are you putting on Larry Fitzgerald? No one? Great. Who are you putting on Christian Kirk? So it's going to be very interesting to watch. They've had two weeks to prepare for this. To prepare for this game, Miami off a huge win versus the Rams. Now have to fly cross country themselves to go play Arizona. But I think Arizona is going to win here even with the minus four and a half. And lastly, Patriots versus the Jets, Monday Night Football. I have to believe the Patriots are better than the Jets. But the last football take, I just had to believe and wouldn't let myself relive that or unleash that or let that go was the Cowboys are better than the Washington football team. Eh, I was wrong. But I have to believe the Patriots are better than the Jets. I do. I just have to believe that. So the Jets are getting seven and a half. This could very well be 23-13 Patriots. That feels right to me. And because of which, I'm going to go with the Patriots to cover the seven and a half and win the game. So just to do a recap, Chiefs over Panthers. Seahawks over Bills, Steelers over Dallas, Dolphins over Cardinals, Patriots over Jets. And that will wrap up Jack's pack. We will have a much better week than one in four, I promise. And up next, we will talk about the NBA and what's going down there. Alrighty, guys, and we are back with some NBA talk, a little NBA coverage, that sort of thing. And so, of course, 
the NBA is looking to come back December 22nd. Now, we're looking at like guys like LeBron saying he's cherry-picking the first half of the season. That's what he's got AD for. Now, do I believe LeBron had to play his way into shape? No. I do not believe that. But heading into year 18, cherry-picking spots is going to be probably the way to go. Like I said, I expect a lot of the older veteran players like Paul George, like Kawhi Leonard, like a LeBron James, especially the Lakers pull off a third star to really pick their spots. Maybe the second out of a back-to-back in Atlanta is a rest night and let the younger guys have it. Maybe we're playing the Clippers in a couple of days, but right now we're playing Sacramento. I played 28 minutes and I take a seat regardless of the score. Let the young guys have it because they're going to have to get in the playoffs. And I'm pretty sure LeBron's going to want to play in the Olympics in 2021. So they're going to have to do something differently than what they're normally used to doing. Especially LeBron James led team. He's playing about 33, 34 minutes a night. Mather knocked it down to 29 to 30. Very San Antonio Spurs style. I'm sure a lot of veterans will have their minutes knocked down and reduced at the beginning of the season to guide them through to where they can ramp up around game 30 and start playing their normal minutes more consistently. So just to give a quick rundown of the offseason schedule, the NBA draft is November 18th. The training camps will open December 1st. The season will tip December 22nd. And it all has to be concluded before the Olympics and give a decent time for any Team USA players to get acclimated to their team before participating in the Olympics in 2021, which is sometime in early to mid-August. Now, there's several rumors going down in the NBA. Gotta love rumors in the NBA because the rumor mill is absolutely amazing and usually mostly true. So the biggest rumors or ads have been confirmed, obviously by the team or the player himself, is that Drew Holiday will not be a New Orleans Pelican at the start of next season. Now, when David Griffin got hired, I had a strange suspicion that this could be the case. Why? Because David Griffin, when he was originally hired in Cleveland, had a who? Young Kyrie Irving? He had a Tristan Thompson? He had a Deion Waiters, memory serving me correctly? He had a coach in David Blatt that was going to teach them how to play basketball the right way. And then this guy who was born in Akron, Ohio, decided to leave the Miami Heat and show up and completely retooled everything. You had to redo everything for a championship level team. He had Andrew Wiggins as well and had to completely redo everything for a championship level squad. Well, Griff's in New Orleans now, not as a GM, but as a president of basketball operations. Trey, Trey Han London, Trey Jan London is from the Nets group. He's the general manager, but Griff still runs the show. Who does he have now? A transcendent talent in Zion Williamson with an all-star level player in Brandon Ingram, another all-star level player in Drew Holiday, along with Lonzo Ball, J.J. Redick, Derek Favors, and the rest of the crew. Well, Drew Holiday is getting up there in age. He's got a young child. Maybe he could be looking around the corner like, man, I can go be a dad right now. Basketball, in this situation, I want to go win one and then go be a dad. He's earned the right. I, I do believe any player that a is loyal to an organization, has earned the right to go to the management and politely request a trade to a contender. I mean, I believe anybody should be able to leave a situation they don't want to be there, but especially a guy like Drew, who stuck through the city through some rough times and had some rough times in the family of the Pelicans wrapped around him. So, of course, there are connections. The connections are Golden State is in play. Again, I don't know either why or how they're in play, 
because they got rid of D'Angelo Russell because of three guards. So unless they're parting ways with Curry or Klay Thompson, the Warriors are out. The two I was most interested in was Brooklyn and the Miami Heat. Now, Brooklyn has a trough of young talent. They have Karis LeVert. They have Jared Allen. They've got draft pick capital that they can offer the New Orleans Pelicans in exchange for Drew Holiday. I think something along the lines of Karis LeVert, Jared Allen, this this year's first round pick, two years from now, first round pick, and possibly a second round pick thrown in there for cap mitigation purposes would get Drew Holiday to Brooklyn so that Brooklyn will have a legitimate big three, big three and a half, really, in DeAndre Jordan, Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and Drew Holiday under the stewardship of Steve Nash. The other team that was interesting was the Miami Heat because, again, they can offer this year's first or next year's first, two years from that first, Tyler Hero, maybe a Duncan Robinson, and if they got to mitigate cap, then throw in some ancillary pieces for cap purposes. Those are the two trades I think would be the most likely. I do not see him landing in Golden State because outside of the number two overall pick, I'm not sure what they willing to give up, especially money-wise. I mean, when you've got a situation with Curry and Clay, you throw in another guard, you might have paying Jeremiah a lot of money. I don't want Angel Wiggins from the Pelicans. What do you do? And so that's something definitely to watch there. And then another big rumor is that the Pelicans are trying to come up from 13, I believe they are. They're trying to fly up, potentially into the top five. Detroit's trying to fly up from seven and have a conversation with LaMelo Ball. So we know that Golden State's going to be a mover. I mean, they pretty much said it. They're using their draft pick to move and to add another piece because they are operating in the window of Steph Curry and Klay Thompson. So we know Golden State's looking to move fairly desperately. And so they'll be willing to come out of that number two pick for a player they believe can help them go win another ring or two with Curry, Klay, and Draymond. So we'll be definitely watching that situation to see. I mean, Zach Levine could be out of Chicago. I mean... There's some other great players. Bradley Bill could be out of Washington. He's been linked to several organizations as well. And so we'll be definitely watching that, especially as it gets closer to the NBA draft time. But up next, we'll be shifting quickly to talk about a little college football and what's going down there. Welcome back in to our you know little college football segment just to keep you guys updated on what's going down across the country. The Pac-12 is back. Uh, they have huge returns scheduled for them. The MAC has returned. But speaking on the Pac-12, remember about three years ago, if memory serves me correctly, when Herman Edwards got hired at Arizona State and Kevin Sumlin got hired at Arizona almost within a couple days of each other. Might have been the same day. And everybody was like, man, Arizona State could have had Kevin Sumlin, but they got Herman Edwards out the booth. How does that hire look now? I mean, considering that the first time I had heard Kevin Sumlin in Arizona's name since he got hired there was yesterday. Herman Edwards is winning that battle in the state of Arizona by a lot. 
He's turned it into an NFL-style program. We see guys that have come out of his program and successfully immediately, like Brandon Ayuk. They've got NFL-style meetings. They've got NFL-style practices. Everything they've done, he's selling kids in terms of his recruiting on, this is going to be the closest thing to the NFL as you're going to find in the country. You want to get to the NFL? You want to adjust to the NFL quickly? Your freshman year here is going to be your adjustment period. NFL, like I said, NFL-style meetings, NFL-style practices, NFL-style game day programs. Outside of they may do a little bit more college-style stuff just to, you know, have the college atmosphere. But it's the NFL, as close as you can get it on a college campus. That's what Herman Edwards has going on at Arizona State. So big props to him. David Shaw in the Pac-12 for Stanford. He needs to bounce back this year. They had a very down year, a very un-Stanford-like year with a shortened schedule. They're going to have to bounce back. Now we're going to talk about a little bit of news, a little bit of NFL draft news. I wonder if Trevor Lawrence is losing ground for the number one pick to Justin Fields. I know it's blasphemy almost to suggest anybody goes number one besides Lawrence. And I agree, Lawrence should be the number one overall pick. But I wonder if Fields is going to make anybody think twice. Justin Fields right now is absolutely rolling. He's a monster. His accuracy seems to vastly have improved since the last time we've seen him. He's playing really, really great football. Obviously, he's got better feet than Trevor Lawrence, and they duped it out last year in the playoff game before Phil's receiver went the wrong way on a scramble drill and Phil's threw a costly pick. Otherwise, Ohio State might have had the honor of losing to that LSU team last year in New Orleans. Instead, it was Clemson, ultimately. But I wonder how much ground he's gaining on the number one spot, especially depends on if someone lands there. Now, if the Jets land there, it's Lawrence. But if someone is maybe thinking, man, we've got a system in place that could really use a mobile quarterback. Oh, look, here's Justin Fields. Maybe they make a move like a Miami. Maybe. Maybe they go Fields instead of Lawrence. It's definitely something to look at in case certain teams land there. Dallas even. What if they go Fields instead of Lawrence? Now, Jerry Jones loves ticket sales and he loves to be talked about. So drafting Trevor Lawrence for him would be almost a no brainer. But New England? Fields and Lawrence. I mean, it's definitely something you could look at, especially with you see how Josh McDaniels for the Patriots are opening up more for Cam Newton, more running that he couldn't dream of doing, obviously with Tom Brady. I don't, that's shifting gears a little bit. I don't believe in Mac Jones. Not saying anything about Mac Jones at the collegiate level. I can't argue with his numbers, his production, and what he's doing with that super team in Alabama with Najee Harris and Devonta Smith and those guys and that track team of speed and they seem to pull out one every year. It's like, who is that? Where did he come from and how nobody else found this kid to have him starting immediately as a freshman? He's not an NFL level quarterback to me. I don't see it. Maybe it's just because he's playing with that Crimson Tide team. But I mean, look at two of his whole college career and then look at that first game compared to the other people's first game of his draft class in Burrow and Herbert. I don't see it in Mac Jones. I don't think he's talented as Tua. And I don't know what Tua can do besides jump through a keyhole with a rocket ship and be Drew Brees in terms of how to succeed at the NFL level. I don't believe a lot in Mac Jones. Now, that could change. I'm going to watch his full game, obviously, against LSU, whose defense is horrible under defensive coordinator Bo Pelini. 
I'm gonna watch that game. I'm gonna pay attention. I'm gonna see what I can see. If there's anything to see, it could, like I said, it could be a 40 nothing game at halftime. The way that I'm sure Bamber remembers Ed Ogeron's leaked speech of we're gonna kick their bleep and recruit him. We're gonna kick their bleep on the field. We're gonna take back the SEC. I'm sure he remembers all of that. So I'm sure it's gonna be all over the Alabama building reminding them of that and reminding them that this is what LSU thought of you just last season. And so I'll be definitely watching that game, tuning in to see what Mac Jones is about. I'll watch him Saturday a little bit, along with Justin Fields and DJ Ugalagale at Clemson when they play Notre Dame number one versus number four. He started off a little slow last week. The whole team did. Could it be Trevor Lawrence withdrawal syndrome? But then they picked it up and dominated that team and so we're going to definitely watch Clemson versus Notre Dame and watch the five-star all-everything freshman DJ Ugalagale at quarterback for the Clemson Tigers. But up next, we'll be shifting to our best for last, which will be a game recap and a little bit of discussion on the Green Bay Packers and the San Francisco 49ers. Alrighty guys, and we are back for our best for last segment. And of course, we're going to talk about the Green Bay Packers game versus the San Francisco 49ers. If you can call it a game. That game was over probably when the injury report came out. In all honesty, the Packers dominated from start to finish. Aaron Rodgers pitched the ball over the yard. Nick Mullins felt like he was on his back more than he was standing up. Because the Smith brothers went to work on the left tackle for the 49ers, who flat out used bad technique and was dominated the whole night, physically thrown out of the way. It just seemed like he was completely unprepared for the game and put unnecessary stress on a 49ers defense, just like the rest of the team. That's all patchwork. The lack of talent and the talent that went away for the San Francisco 49ers through injury and COVID testing it was evident, it was clear, and it was obvious, and the game showed that. An absolute destruction by the Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers played amazing, and he played like a person who knew that he was playing a beat-up team, who knew that he was playing a team that he could get rid of early, maybe watch a few of the last possessions, and see if he can take down that 49ers team as fast as humanly possible. So big congratulations to Aaron Rodgers, Matt LaFleur, Devontae Adams had a great game, Aaron Jones played well. I mean, the whole team played great. They even got an interception. Only the third one of the season, due to another pressure, Nick Mullins panicked, threw a ball in the air, it was intercepted. When I'm watching this game and I'm going, I know the injuries are gone. I know the injuries are bad. I know they have COVID testing. I know they've had all those other issues. The San Francisco 49ers need another quarterback. It's not Jimmy Garoppolo. He should already have a real estate agent, hopefully trying to find him a nice place in a different city. It's not Nick Mullins. No offense to Nick Mullins. It ain't Nick Mullins. They're in it need to be in the market trading for Sam Darnold. If they like Dwayne Haskins, I'm not sure how they feel about him. Cam Newton in that system where all he has to do is not turn the ball over. For Cam, that has not been a huge issue, and he can make plays with his feet. So the stretch run game is even more dangerous because now a person like Cam can stretch all the way left and revert all the way back right or vice versa and completely fool the defense, leading to easy throws 
especially because Kyle Shanahan is a good quarterback teacher, obviously with the MVP year of Matt Ryan, which he has not come close to duplicating before or after Kyle Shanahan's departure or arrival. So if Niners, you need another quarterback. That's completely evident. Maybe a big-time receiver as well. Maybe they do a double trade. Maybe they go trade for Odell Beckham on one end and draft a quarterback on the other end or something of that nature. But they definitely need an infusion of specialness at the quarterback position. Packers, your defense looked dominant. Why? Your free agent pass rushers got home. If those guys can get home consistently, your defense is going to be A-OK. A back four's best friend is a front seven. So if the Smith brothers can get home and you do a good job against the run, guess what? Your back four is going to have a great time. Your secondary is going to have fun because they can take chances on jumping routes because they figured you won't have time to run double move because our pass rush is getting home. Offense has never been your issue. You have Aaron Bleepin' Rodgers. You have Devontae Adams. You have Aaron Jones. You do not have an offensive problem. You have a defensive problem. And you seem to take a step in the right direction with this game. But all in all, it was an absolute massacre. So big congratulations to the Green Bay Packers starting off week nine in fairly convincing fashion. But that is all we have for today's show. I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys learned a lot. I threw a lot of information at you guys today, and I hope you guys picked up on some of that. Again, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, and Spotify. And don't forget to follow the Twitter page at JTime Sports for all the information you guys could possibly want on the major four sports in this country, along with a little international news from time to time. So this is your host, Justin Jackson, signing out. <music>